Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Networks podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We represent various groups working on literacy in the state. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. This podcast was brought to you by Bright Spot Ed LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama, providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation services, and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Bell-Smith. Today, we will be talking to Ms. Sonia Thomas, Executive Director of Nashville Propel, a group that works to better the education of black and brown students in Nashville by training and mobilizing powerful parent leaders to advocate for their students and families. Her work as a literacy advocate began with her son, who was a struggling reader, and she continues to fight for all students to read at higher levels. Recently, she has worked to increase awareness of the impact of COVID-19 on low-income students and students of color who did not have equal access to remote learning opportunities, as well as advocating for comprehensive plans for student learning recovery. Welcome, Sonia Thomas. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. I mentioned in the introduction that your work began because of your son's experience with reading and school, which was chronicled in Emily Hanford's What the Words Say. Can you tell everyone that story since people may not have read it or may not recognize you from that story? Actually, my work began before I even recognized that the issue that my son was having was related to literacy. My work began back in 2018 when I went through a parent advocacy fellowship uh, with 14 other parents in this city. When we learned that not all children were receiving a quality education and I knew something was going on with my son, but I could not pinpoint it because I begged for years upon years for someone to help me to figure out what was going on with him. I knew it wasn't an IQ thing. I knew he was smart and he was intelligent, just like the other three children that I have. And and so I begged for help and begged for help, actually transferred him to another school for seventh grade because of the beginning of my advocacy of finding out that the schools that were in our neighborhood were not quality schools. The schools where we live at, but ranked in the bottom 5% of the state. And that is unacceptable to have my child or anybody else's child uh, stuck in a school that is not performing well. So I, I transferred him to a higher performing charter school here in Nashville. And his very first report card, I sat across from his teacher who told me that he was on task and he was prepared. He had all of his assignments turned in. He had great behavior and I knew that. You know, he's a good good boy, but he was reading on a second grade reading level. And when I tell you that that was one of the most painful days uh, that I ever had, I felt hopeless and helpless. I felt ashamed, uh, but also I was angry. I was angry because I knew he was not the only child. And I knew that we were in a system that intentionally tried to shame me as a parent and other parents by saying that we weren't fighting for our children. And so that's how the 
the whole literacy thing came into play. And I met Visha, who uh, introduced me to Emily. And I am so grateful to Emily for telling the story of myself and CJ, which represents many, many Black and Brown children in not just Nashville public education, but around this country. Wow. And I did not realize that about the Parent Advocacy Fellowship. And so Mm -hmm. I certainly want to find out more about that because that really has been one of the big outlets for your advocacy is educating and mobilizing parents to advocate for their children. So you, you alluded to it earlier about Nashville, but why is this so important in Nashville and in other places? If we don't do anything else, we should be teaching children how to read. Children have a right, a right to be taught how to read. Just like we have First Amendment and Second Amendment rights, reading is a right. You can't learn if you can't read. And so children have the right to be taught how to read. That's why it's important. When I interviewed Visha, I asked a question about how do we get more parents involved? And and she said it really is about educating people. You've been really outspoken about the ineffectiveness of much of the reading instruction being implemented in Nashville public schools and how this has disproportionately affected students of color and poverty. You talked about the right to read, but can you talk about how that right to read is really part of the social justice needed in our society? We can go back to slavery when people were whipped killed if they were found to have a book. Then we can move into the civil rights era when people were fighting for the right to vote and they had to take a literacy test. And I can remember watching a documentary where Robert Kennedy was speaking in front of the Senate and one of the senators said he didn't care if people couldn't read above a sixth grade level. That's their own problem. Because people had back then they had to take a literacy test, like a test in order to have the right to vote. And so that is what makes it a social justice issue. If you can't read, nine times out of 10, you will not stay in school. And of course, you will not be able to have a a job with benefits and access to healthcare. And this is what we know. We know that children are hurting out here. We know that schools are heavily funded with money, with taxpayers' money. And I think it's criminal to take our money and not produce something. Anytime you do anything like multi-level marketing or anything like that, and you don't give a product and you take people's money, then you can be prosecuted, right? And so that's all we're asking. As we send our very little visions into these school buildings and we pay our tax dollars, we should be getting an outcome, a good thing coming out of these buildings. And that's not happening. It's not children's fault. I think it's criminal to withhold the very thing, the very key to success and not give it to everyone. Reading is not a privilege. It's a right. But reading isn't a privilege. And when you were talking about those higher incomes, I know that you've done a lot of work with the school to prison pipeline, looking Mm -hmm. at the lack of literacy and how that 
affects children's outcomes. So you want to talk about that for a second? Absolutely. Um, I, I just think that we all know, you know, when you know that something has happened, first of all, it makes it criminal. But also, I think we should all lose sleep. And I say that all the time. Our kids are going from, from schoolyards to prison yards, and some are going to graveyards. Children have an innate sense of survival. And of course, if they cannot read in class, they're going to get in trouble. A lot of children, if you interview 10 children, 10 of them will tell you that most of the time they get in trouble in class because they are ashamed or embarrassed if the teacher calls them their name and they don't know the answer or they have to read out loud. They'd rather be put out of class. That's the easy way. That's the easy way. That's the easy way out. And so I truly believe that our lack of urgency to educate children has disproportionately affected Black and brown children. It has most definitely created the path from the school to prison pipeline. And I think that even our lawmakers are actually making it law. You know, they're increasing the opportunities for children to go from the school to prison pipeline by implementing disciplinary uh, laws that allow teachers in this state to determine whether or not they keep a child in class. If you don't have a child in class, then you can't teach them. If we have a teacher who is biased or who does not understand where a child comes from, they're unable to connect to them, or they're just having a bad day and don't want to be bothered. If we have teachers just putting children out of classroom, but you know, we're living in a state now that is actually feeding our school to prison pipeline. I'm unfamiliar with that law that you are referencing, but we know that students of color are disproportionately affected by those exclusionary disciplinary practices. So yes. I, I can only imagine what that is. I mean, I'll tell you the law. The, the law is the Teachers Discipline Act. And you can look it up in the state of Tennessee. It just passed a few weeks ago. And it allows teachers to go through a process of exiting children out of classrooms because of behavior issues. And we spend our money and our time focused on ways to put children out of classrooms when we can't even come up with a plan to teach children and educate them in a classroom. That's criminal. I think that that's shameful that we're able to come up with ways to put them out, but not ways to keep them in. The very thing that you know we hope to do is to educate children. We avoid that and we focus on discipline. That is very interesting. I've heard you talk about teachers being unequipped to teach well. And so I think that that actually ties really closely into what you're describing with this new law. Can you talk about teachers' preparation to teach reading and to teach students and also how Propel works to change parents' ability to advocate better for their children? First, I want to be clear about something. We love great educators. I don't think we have a teacher issue. You know, I think that that's small, right? I think we have a system failure. We have a system failure. And, and, and what I think is shameful is not only are children victims of this lack of a focus on literacy and getting it right, 
I also believe that educators are victims in this whole thing. I just don't believe that people wake up in the morning to say, you know what? I don't want to teach children how to read. I believe that the system is set up for people to fail. If you ask any educator the name of the class that they took at the college or university that they attended to teach children how to read, they can't name it. <laughs> they cannot name it because they, do, they were not taught how to teach children how to read. And so then we have them to graduate and they go into the world and they want to inspire children only to end up in classrooms to teach something, first of all, that is not normal to do. Reading is not a normal phenomenon, okay? The brain just does not naturally have the ability to read. There's only about 5% of those in the world who you can put a book in their hand and teach them words and they just read. The majority of us must have what I call the recipe. Those who are very uh, professional causes, the science of reading. I call it the recipe. I call it the cure. And we must make sure that our educators understand the components of the recipe and the cure. Because if anything is left out, if you bake a cake and you leave out the flour or the baking powder, it will not rise. And so educators must be equipped they must understand phonics and phonemic awareness and fluency. They must understand vocabulary and comprehension. We must equip them with the entire recipe, with the science of reading, in order to ensure that we eliminate struggling readers. 99% of all people can be taught how to read. 100% of us have the right to be taught how to read. So how is Propel involved in teaching parents how to advocate for their kids to have this right? That's a good question. I'm glad that you asked that because most of us don't even know what it means to know how to read, right? And so first of all, we have to start there. We ask the question, what does it mean to know how to read? What does it look like? What does it sound like? What are the things that we need to be equipped with? Is, is it just putting a book in children's hands for 30 minutes and having parents listen to them read and parents read to them? No, it is not. We have sold, we have sold that to parents for decades and it does not work. And so we teach parents what it means to know how to read. We sound the alarm for parents. We sound the alarm. We ask them to question everything and everybody and so that they learn the truth. We provide them with the data that they need and we help them to see that it's not their fault that their children are struggling to read. If an educator is not even equipped in school, how can anybody, how can anybody teach their children at home how to read? I believe that parents are doing the best that they can and they are advocating for their children. But we teach them and we equip them with the knowledge to effectively advocate and collectively advocate by building a movement of parents because parents are fighting by themselves. They're going to, going to meetings with 
the school six on one. They often sit across from the teacher, whether it's Zoom or in person, and there's six educators on one parent. You know, we're, we're teaching them that, hey, we've got your back and we can do this together. And I, I believe that it's working. I believe that it's working. And, and parents are rising up and they're activated. And they're not only fighting for their children, but they're fighting for, for all children. And, and I want to celebrate parents and grandparents. But I also want to celebrate great educators who realize that this is a problem that we all have to solve together. It's not just a parent problem or just an educator problem, but it's also a problem with our legislators and our decision makers all around this country who have to have a sense of urgency to get this right. Is it too much to ask to educate our children? No, it's not too much to ask. I have so many thoughts about what you said, even just even going back to my own training as a teacher. I was a high school English teacher. And when you ask what class did I have, I had one class and it was teaching, reading in the content areas. And it did not equip me to help struggling readers when I was in the classroom. And so the system focus that you talked about, I believe so much. And I think that that system approach to arming parents with the knowledge and helping teachers gain the skills, because I can guarantee you as a former teacher, I believe 100% that those people are there, not because of the high salaries and glamorous working conditions, but because they've dedicated their lives to improving children. And so I believe wholeheartedly that they do want to change kids' lives for the better. We just got to get them the skills and the training to do that. So I love that you say that. Everyone has really struggled with virtual learning, but this has especially affected struggling students and students of poverty. What have you seen during this time and what steps could be taken to address this? Um, what we've seen is there is truly a digital divide. There's a couple of things that, that happened here in March of 2020. First of all, Nashville actually experienced a tornado that shut our school down March the 23rd, 2020. And there started some of the realization that we had a digital divide. And then when COVID-19 hit, it really amplified the problem and how catastrophic it was. We had families that basically had access to internet just on their phones. How can you learn as far as, a, you know, getting an education from your phone? We had families that did, did not have access to high-speed internet, nor did they have a, a device. And so it was, that was the first thing first that had to happen here in the city of Nashville. And it, it also something that happened all across the country. And one of the things that has to be done is, first of all, High-speed internet has got to be made available to all citizens. And so the decision makers at the federal level, level, the FCC, they need to work on making sure that that high-speed internet is available to all. Here in Nashville, we advocated for high-speed internet for children and for devices because we were, we were shocked. We were shocked when I mean, we even had school to start here in August and there were still children who did not have 
a device and they did not have a hotspot, uh, let alone learn, knowing how to operate it. And we spent the first three to four months struggling with the device navigation and the, the actual virtual school navigation for parents and grandparents. And so children lost even their first three or four months just dealing with that issue, let alone going to a new platform of learning. It's just not the same as being in a classroom. And I think that we will see an increase in struggling readers due to COVID-19 and not having the ability to even get the basics or the fragmented literacy that they were getting in person prior to COVID-19. I agree. There are other groups across the country doing similar work. Obviously, if there's a group in a city, people could join them, but how can parents and other communities get involved? Wow. They can listen to the sound of my voice and your voice and those who have come before me who have doing what I call sounding the alarm. Now, when an alarm goes off, a tornado alarm or fire alarm in the house or a smoke detector, everybody runs to see what is going on. And I'm just calling on people to run and see what is going on, to not just look at their situation and um, think that they haven't made or maybe their children have gone on and graduated from school. I think that we all have a responsibility and obligation to look at literacy as an emergency, look at literacy as a crisis. And so if you are in a city where you don't have a movement of parents and grandparents, you can reach out to Nashville Propel at NashvillePropelParents at gmail.com to inquire. We can give you some information. There are other cities who are advocating for children in Memphis. You have Sarah Carpenter in St. Louis. You have Crystal Barnett. You have Kimberly Dukes in Atlanta. You have Joanne Maribel in San Antonio. And then you have Keisha Young in Oakland. And so there are other movements of parents, not all specifically focused on literacy right now, but focused on uh, children having a quality education. And so if you are interested in your city and you don't have this type of movement, please reach out and we will be glad to share because we need this all over the country. I agree. If you could change one thing about the current landscape in the United States around literacy for students of poverty and students of color, what would it be? It would be for children to be looked at as life's visions and that every child be able to read and read at a high level. And I believe that that is possible. I believe that that is possible. That is what I would like to see. That would be a great start, wouldn't it? A great start. It would be a great ending. Nashville Propel is holding a virtual conference this weekend around the right to be taught how to read. I'm already registered and excited about what I'm going to learn. What can you tell us about the conference and what people can learn by attending? Okay, so I I can tell you this, that it is going to be simply amazing. I know a lot of people want to rest on Saturday, but I want you to think of it as as one of those things that you get excited about 
such as a concert, which is not going to be a concert, but I want you to have that level of excitement about it. Uh, it's, it's very important. Uh, you will not be disappointed. We have spent a lot of times working with parents and grandparents and preparing for this parent summit. It is our Get Your Priorities Summit. It's our third annual Get Your Priorities Summit. And no one is ever disappointed when they leave our summit. We'll have some outstanding speakers. We have Legra Newman, who is the founder and principal of Purpose Preparatory Academy here in Nashville. She's doing some great work with literacy. She's doing some great work with the School to Prison Pipeline. She was also featured with myself and others in Nashville and the Soledad O'Brien production, uh, Disrupt and Dismantle, featured on BET. We will also have none other but our friend Sonia Santalisis, who is the CEO of Baltimore Schools, who is non-apologetic about quality and expectations. She is the uh, CEO of a very difficult and large school district. And we just love her. We love her fight for kids. Then we have Miss Bisha uh, Hawkins, who is a Nashville native, who is an, an amazing literacy advocate. She's also hosting. And then we'll have myself and our parents and our grandparents who will be representing Nashville Propel. After the speakers, we will have a panel with all of those people on it. We have a couple of parents whom you will hear their personal story. You will hear their pain. And I think it's important for people to hear the story. We talk about the crisis in literacy, but we don't often hear the painful stories that come along with it. So we're excited. It starts at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, and we will end by 1 p.m. Central Standard Time on Saturday, March the 27th. I hope and pray that you guys register. You can go to our website, nashvillepropel.org, and you can register right there. Registration is limited, and it will be closing on March the 24th. So that's the only way that you're going to be able to participate is to register for the event at nashvillepropel.org. I know that I will be there. (laughs) Wonderful. Sonia, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate what you do for students and parents. I can't wait for this weekend's conference, and I'm going to encourage everyone to register for this free virtual event. I will share this link again and again until the deadline. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you for having me, and God bless. Join us again next week for the next episode of the Alabama Literacy Network.